James 2, verses 1 through 13, these are God's words. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder... You become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. So far, the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word, the... The uh, Holy Spirit comes now in the first half of chapter 2 and uh, reminds us of the character uh, that the Lord Jesus is producing uh, in those whom he has brought to faith in himself, a character that counts the Lord himself and his kingdom uh, to be uh, that which is glorious. And so uh, even... In the middle of the first chapter, you remember, he has already written, the lowly, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Uh, and yet, uh, we are so far from uh, following that, and so far from uh, pure and undefiled religion, which is uh, not only the bridling of our tongue, in verse 26 of the previous chapter, and the uh, keeping ourselves unspotted from the world at the end of verse 27 of the previous chapter, but to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, uh, which is to say, uh, to be like our Father of lights in heaven uh, and uh, to reflect his character, to care and attend to uh, those whom he cares about and attends to. Uh, and so he comes directly out of talking about our God and Father, or God and the Father, verse 7, and orphans and widows, sorry, verse 27, uh, and orphans and widows, verse 27, and then he addresses them, my brethren, uh, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. And you see right there the reminder that he who is the Lord of glory 
humbled himself for our sakes. He took the form of a bond slave and was found in appearance uh, as a man and humbled himself even to the point of the death of the cross for our sakes. And so if the Lord of glory has stooped down for us, creatures, dirt breathing, uh, or breathing dirt, uh, and not only breathing dirt, but who had sinned against God. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If the Lord did that for us, then should not we be willing to be humble uh, and uh, not shrink back from uh, doing good to those whom the world uh, thinks of as lowly? Uh, And if we know the Lord Jesus as the Lord of glory, then let us not have a fleshly esteem, a worldly esteem, uh, for those who seem to be something in this world, uh, whether uh, those who uh, who others idolize in some way in the church, which happens, um, uh, or, as in this passage, those who have wealth, and with wealth often comes influence, uh, as we remember uh, in verse 6 where the rich oppress and drag you into the courts. Well, they're able to do that. Why? Um, because they have influence. But we're, we must not be impressed with the so-called greatness of any mere man if we, um, if we are really beholding and considering the greatness of the Lord Jesus, uh, the Lord of glory. Uh, and so we must, uh, we must have Christ in view when we think about the rich man, uh, who is not uh, in that case so rich, but uh, in uh, some spiritual danger, uh, and Christ in view when we see uh, the poor man. Uh, And in this case, in this case, uh, the uh, assumption, the judgment of charity of the man who is a member of the assembly in in verse 2, Uh, is that the rich and the poor are both brothers. Uh, And we must not give preference of place then to the one who is rich in the eyes of the world, as you see uh, in verse 3. If we show that kind of partiality, uh, a worldly preference uh, of, uh, of one brother over the other, valuing that which the world values, then we become judges who differentiate between those whom the Lord Jesus has saved. We do not have the right to give place of preference to one over the other among those whom Jesus has decided to redeem all of them. And so if our judgment comes into conflict with Jesus's judgment, if our giving preference of place comes into conflict with those whom Jesus has gathered to himself, then aren't those, uh, isn't that exactly what we would call evil thoughts? Thoughts that conflict with uh, what the Lord Jesus uh, himself has determined and desired. And so he, uh, he uses that language. Has God not chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom to which, uh, which he promised to those who love him? Uh, So on one hand, we know uh, where their believing began. Uh, Their believing began outside of time. 
Not that they began to believe outside of time, but that God chose whom he would bring to faith. And in his providence, he gave many of those whom he chose that he would bring to faith places of lowliness and poverty in this life. Perhaps even as a help to them to have the sort of mindset that we've just come out uh, of hearing that he's giving all believers in chapter 1, and perhaps just to glorify himself, uh, so that he who glories, glories only in the Lord, which is how 1 Corinthians 1 ends. And in the latter half of 1 Corinthians 1, you remember, uh, he made this very point that there were not many whom the world would consider noble or wise or great in the church, that that God has uh, in his uh, electing to save he has chosen especially those who are lowly, not only, but especially, as the apostle was able to uh, to make that point in uh, in First Corinthians one, and uh, and as uh, James, the brother of Jesus, here by the Spirit, makes the same point in uh, James chapter two, where indeed he uses the same language as the apostle is going to go on to use in 1 Corinthians 2, where he says, if they had been able to see, if the eyes and ears and minds of men worked properly, they would not have crucified Jesus, because they would have been able to recognize the Lord of glory. But sin blinding the eyes and deafening the ears and confounding the hearts of sinful men, they did not see that he was the Lord of glory. We, however, my dear brothers and sisters and my family, we must not be so. For we must not only have regard for that eternal, electing, redeeming love, that election uh, from whence the faith came, but also that uh, exaltation, glorification, to which that faith is going. Because not only did God choose them, beginning of verse 5, but later in verse 5, they are heirs of the kingdom. And so they are not intentionally coming in as uh, a great king, a great prince of a great kingdom that has not yet arrived, um, dressing themselves up to deceive. They are genuinely poor now, but we must remember that they still are nonetheless heirs of a great kingdom that is coming. And if we had known that uh, about someone with respect to earthly inheritance, uh, how much more those with heavenly and everlasting inheritance. This is how we should see and treat brothers and sisters in the church. And so the Lord has uh, chosen especially the poor man, and we should, uh, we should uh, have pity upon the rich man. We saw not too long ago at the end of First Timothy, the uh, instruction in First Timothy 6 for the rich man and uh, the spiritual um, dangers of having wealth in this world. Uh, we saw that again in chapter 1 of, uh, of this letter. Um, Let the rich man exult in his humiliation 
because as a flower of the field he will pass away, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. And then again here uh, in uh, verse 6, Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? They consider themselves something and you nothing, in part because the visible, tangible riches, influence, um, esteem of this world uh, has deceived them. And riches threaten not only to deceive us with regard to men, so that we mistreat and oppress them. Look at verse 7. Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? And we see this recently in Isaiah where uh, Sennacherib and his, through his messenger, the Rabshakeh, uh, blasphemed the name of Yahweh because they felt very powerful and very able and very wealthy uh, in this world. Do we not see it uh, with the church of Laodicea who thought themselves rich, although they were spiritually uh, blind and uh, and impoverished? And if we think about the church throughout the ages and across the world, are we not in great danger as well of being the ones who mistreat other believers and even do not think highly of God himself because we are so comfortable and we feel ourselves to be so able. And so we must follow the royal law. The royal law, because it's King Jesus' law, is going to quote from Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, a place in which you remember the moral law was summarized and uh, expressed when thinking about the sanctity of believers, as we recently have in Leviticus 19, had that very verse in that very context, which um, uh, we can just kind of remember that and not take the, the time to show the context of the whole chapter in the course of the book of Leviticus, which, uh, of course, is the right way of reading the verse uh, and not just... Uh, cherry-picking and saying, oh, 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 that's ceremonial law. Well, it is the Lord Jesus' summary of the first table uh, of the law, and we should understand understand how the moral law was being used in that part of the ceremonial law. But let us remember then that the Decalogue that was thundered uh, by the voice of God from the top of Sinai, we now know to have to come we now know to have come by the voice of Jesus. And the Decalogue, what is that, the Decalogue, Sophia? It's the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments uh, that came by the finger of Yahweh has come, as it were, then by the finger of Jesus, because Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the King. He is the God-man. Uh, and so uh, we are not those who think that the Ten Commandments have been set aside. We know them now even not as the law of Moses or the law at Sinai or even the law on the tablets. Now we know them as the royal law, the law of the king. And because this is the king who saved us in his love and delivered us, we love to be his subjects. We love his law because it is his. We love to keep it. It is the royal law. And even... I was going to say even better, but we should probably just say, in addition to that, it's the royal law because it describes the character of the king. 
in these 13 verses. He's teaching us that we should treat one another with regard to Christ who has treated us this way. That the Lord of glory himself has given himself for us. Uh, and so what a wonderful thing. God's royal law is. Christ's royal law is. His Ten Commandments are for the Christian. We don't gain our salvation by it. We don't increase our standing with God by it. But surely we love it because it comes from him. We love it because it describes what King Jesus is like. And so, yes, we want to fulfill the royal law. But now we've got a problem because partiality in a congregation, uh, showing preference to the rich over the poor, isn't just poor taste of manners or uh, being unwelcoming as a church. It says, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And so if we show uh, partiality in the church, uh, what we are doing is not just in poor taste or poor manners or unwise. It is It puts us on the wrong side of the law of King Jesus. We are in the same place with respect to his law at that point as the murderer and the adulterer and the Sabbath breaker and the one who has broken all of the commandments. And so we are to speak and to live, verse 12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. It's the same law, isn't it? He's been calling it the royal law, uh, but now he calls it the law of liberty. Uh, But it is the same law. Uh, Now, what does it do when it judges the believer? Well, judges the one who has been freed uh, from condemnation by the law and sentenced by the law to death. But it also judges the one who has been freed from his own sin, from the, from the power, uh, from being dominated, being a slave to his sinfulness. And so we think of the law not only with respect to Jesus, that it comes from him and it describes, uh, it describes what he is like so that it's the royal law. But we also see the law with respect to ourselves, that as the life and character of our Lord Jesus is worked out more and more by his spirit in our character and our conduct, we are shown more and more to have been freed from the dominion of sin. And in fact, one day we may be certain that we will be freed from the presence of sin. And so, uh, as John 3 says, the light, you know, the, those who are righteous, uh, they love the light uh, because in the light it is seen that their deeds are done in God, that they have been freed by the grace of God uh, to obey uh, God and to obey his law. Uh, and then, uh, of course, if if the law is not, as it shines light on our character and our conduct, if it is not identifying that we are more and more dying to sin and more and more living unto God in righteousness, then what that means is that we're not actually saved. We're not actually in Christ. We're not actually forgiven. We're not actually heirs of the kingdom. 
we are actually going to hell. And so the rest of the chapter is going to deal with that question. How, how, how can that be? Well, because Jesus, through whom we receive forgiveness, is also Jesus who changes us. Changing us is the change in us isn't how we receive forgiveness. But they both come by the same Jesus. And there's no such thing as justification without sanctification. There's no such thing as faith without works. There's no such thing as a Christ who gives us forgiveness while at the same time does not give us liberty. And so the law of liberty uh, agrees with what we have just been hearing uh, not too long ago in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Well, the, uh, the contrast to that in verse 13 is judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Why? Because if he has shown no mercy, then he must have had no Jesus. And so that's very sobering. But praise God for the conclusion, mercy triumphs over judgment. It is God's mercy to us in Christ that not only um, gives us a triumph over the judgment in which we are already forgiven in him who paid for our sins, but by God's mercy to us in Christ, he is the one who will make us merciful. He is the one who will make us impartial. He is the one who will conform us more and more to his son. And so when you are at church and someone in the church is uh, the a social outcast uh, for reasons that are worldly reasons, uh, then we must not join in showing preference against them. Or if someone in the church is esteemed for worldly reasons, then we must not show partiality that way either. Let us follow Christ in his church and with those whom he has loved and gathered to himself. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us in your Son and choosing us in him that we would be holy and blameless in love, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And we pray that you would help us by your spirit to be soft-hearted to this portion of your word. Grant to us the privilege, the honor of being made like our Redeemer and King, the Lord Jesus, so that we would esteem all and each of his many brethren with a value and love and respect uh, that is uh, as unto Christ and learned from Christ. Grant it, we ask in his name. Amen.